I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. about the Bible. And at some point he said these words, 
it must be comforting for people like you, people of faith, um, when you have questions and wonderings about life and faith, it must be really comforting for you to have a book like the Bible, a book that you revere and, and believe in so deeply that helps you find answers in difficult times and, and, and where God has something to say and, and helps you figure everything out. And, well, for the whole conversation thus far, which was like 45 minutes, I had just been nodding politely, right? Like, that's all you do when they do that. Um, but at this point, like, I was tempted to just continue to nod politely because I just wanted to leave. But then I was like, oh, no, no. And so I answered, I actually answered this question for him. I said, you know, you'd think that's true, but um, actually, no, no, it's not. I, I don't find the Bible all that comforting at all. Um, in in times of difficulty and in times of wondering, this, it's not that comforting to me. In fact, it's the other way around. Um, the Bible gives me more questions and things to wonder about. The, the Bible doesn't comfort me. It seems to kind of unsettle me. And the man paused for about like 10 seconds. And then he just continued talking about something <laughs> totally different. Um, but it's true. The Bible does not comfort me. The Bible unsettles me. The Bible doesn't solve all my problems. I wish it did. Doesn't answer all my questions. I wish it did. It gives me a problem. It gives me the problem of my sin and my culpability to wrestle with, right? I now have a bigger problem on my hands. And it usually compounds all of my questions. It doesn't leave me with very easy answers. There, there's a way of talking about the Bible, though, for some, that turns it into a self-help manual, that, that turns it into a way to help solve life's problems. Um, and that's what I think my friend at Pete's, I call everyone my friend, was looking for that day. But, but that approach, I think, ends up looking really silly when confronted with stories like the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah pushes us into a lot of questions and a lot of wonderings, and you can't quickly turn it into a moral fable. It, it makes us laugh at points and makes us cry, and somewhere along the way, I think this book makes us Christians. And so, today, I'm, over the next, like, 15 minutes, I'm going to tell the story of Jonah four times. I'm going to first tell you the story of Jonah in the bare bones, the basic story. Then I would like to tell you the story of Jonah from the perspective of Israel. And then I'd like to tell you the story of Jonah from the perspective of Christians in the early church. And then I'd like to tell you the story of Jonah for us today. First, the bare bones. Jonah's one of those tiny books tucked between, or like at the end of Ezekiel, somewhere before the end of the Old Testament. And if you ever grew up in church at any point in time, everyone has had at some point in like a Sunday school class, somebody hands you a Bible and tells you to find one of these little books like Jonah, and you're like, um, so it's like, it's 
probably after Obadiah, and but like before, like of course before Micah, I have no idea where to find this. I, as a pastor, most of the time trying to find these books, little books like Jonah, it's very hard. It is incredibly hard. They're like four pages long, <laughs> um, within this huge amount of text. So we come to this very short Old Testament story, expecting these little stories like Jonah to, to be obscure and fearing that they will expose our ignorance in the process. But we all know, we all know Jonah's story, right? It, 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 okay, so the bare bones, it's about a whale. It, it's, it's on the children's shelf next to Noah and the ark, right? And so surely that must make this easy, right? This must be a very easy story if it's one of those. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to cry out against wickedness. Jonah having none of it. He gets on a boat, going in the opposite direction. The Lord sends a hurricane on the sea. The boat is in all kinds of trouble. The sailors try to work out in their mind why in the world God would be sending them this storm. And Jonah tells them, I'm running away from God. And he says, you might as well throw me over the boat then, because I'm the, I'm the reason why God is bringing this storm. And reluctantly, they throw him over the boat. Immediately, Jonah hits the water, and the storm goes away immediately. He's eventually swallowed by an oversized fish and takes up residence in the fish's belly. There he thanks God for being given a second chance to survive. And after three days and nights, He's spit back up on dry land, and the Lord isn't finished with him yet. So the Lord sends him back to Nineveh to tell the citizens to repent because God intends to destroy their city. He's told a second time to go to Nineveh. This time Jonah does what he's told, and he tells, um, he tells Nineveh to repent of their sins, uh, and they do. They repent of their sins. Everyone, that's the prophecy. Way to go, Jonah. God is super impressed and decides not to destroy Nineveh after all. But Jonah isn't impressed. Jonah himself thinks these people should be destroyed. He wants nothing to do with this mercy nonsense that God seems to be offering them. He's more than happy for God to destroy Nineveh. This time, instead of sending a big fish, God sends a burning, oh, not a burning bush, that's, that's Moses. Um, so this time, instead, he sends a bush and um, he makes some kind of shelter, and then God sends a worm to destroy the bush, and says, uh, and you know, and Noah's, um, why does it say Noah? Um, Jonah is very upset about this, and Jonah becomes very dehydrated because he's now exposed to the sun, and the story ends with God saying, if you care about this bush, how much more could I care about the people of Nineveh? It's like four chapters bare bones. If you wanted to make it a story with a simple moral point, as my Pete's friend once, here's a couple of examples of what they could be. God can work through us, but if we don't cooperate, God will find another way to get the job done. Sounds like a good moral lesson. What really makes us angry isn't, here's another one, what really makes us angry isn't God's justice, it's God's mercy. There, there's nothing more infuriating than God loving, God telling us to love our enemies, right? So God's mercy is utterly outrageous. Maybe that's another, another example. Is that door open? Can we close it? Thank you. So that's the bare bones. A couple of moral lessons. But before we rush off to the moral, let's read the story again. This time with our Old Testament spectacles on this story, 
and through the lens of Israel. The key word for Israel is Nineveh. Nineveh isn't just an old city. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Today, a huge archaeological site located in northern Iraq is Nineveh. And, and what is the Assyrian Empire? It, it's, it's Israel's nemesis. David and Solomon's kingdom split about 900 BC into two kingdoms, northern and southern. Around 175 years later, the Syrians destroyed the northern kingdom and sent their leaders into exile, and they never returned. The northern kingdom was lost and it was gone forever. Nineveh's a name that evokes for these people a sense of being destroyed, a sense of being gobbled up and digested and never being seen again. Another 140 years later, the Chaldeans invade the southern kingdom and it took its leaders um, after Babylon. And this is the crisis from which the whole H-O-L-E, this whole of the Old Testament arises. Would the southern kingdom be wiped off the face of the earth like the northern kingdom was? This is the question lying behind most of the Bible at this point, including the book of Jonah. The secret of the book goes back to Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham to be the one in whom all nations may be a blessing. Jonah, or should we say Israel, forgets that his whole purpose is to be faithful to God in order that he may be a blessing to the nations. The sailors on the boat with Jonah represent these nations. They're in peril because Jonah has, has lost the plot Jonah's off the script. They're in peril. Jonah is swallowed up by a big fish, just, just like the northern kingdom was swallowed up by Assyria and the southern kingdom by Babylon. The key question is, what happens next? It, it, it turns out, unlike the northern kingdom, Jonah finds he can make himself quite at home in the belly of a big fish and in its welfare, and find his own welfare. The time comes for the fish to spit him out on dry land, just as Babylon returned the Jews to Jerusalem, and now Jonah gets a second chance. This surely is the moment when the book of Jonah is written. The book is telling the people of Jerusalem that astonishingly, they've returned from Babylon. They've been spit out from the belly of this big fish of Babylon, what are they going to do now? Are they going to run away again? Or, or be what they were always supposed to be? A blessing to the nations. And the whole crisis of the Old Testament focuses down on this point at the book of Jonah. Not once, but twice God has done something to preserve Israel in its vocation to be a blessing to the nations. Jonah was glad to be on the receiving end of grace, but he was disgusted by the possibility of extending that grace to his enemies. So 
So this is the question. God has abounded in mercy. What's Israel going to abound in? In this for Christians, story number three. This for Christians is exactly the moment that Jesus walks into the story. You didn't think Jesus was on the bank when Jonah was spit up. Let's look at what the book of Jonah meant for the early church. Think, think about the contrast of the Noah story, the story of the ark, and the Jonah story. In the Noah story, the story of the ark, the whole world dies, but the godly man and his family are saved. In the Jonah story, Jonah is thrown off a boat so that the whole world, the sailors and yes, even Nineveh, might be saved. What does that sound like? Jesus is like Jonah in this moment. He dies so that all people might have life. He's the sacrifice that gives the world a second chance. In his death, he, he saves Jew and Gentile alike and brings them to faith in the same God. And then what happens next? Jesus goes down into the tomb for three days, just as Jonah goes down into the belly of a fish for three days. And if you bring in the Israel dimension, Jesus arising from the tomb is as unlikely of a scenario as Israel returning from Babylon or Jonah coming out alive after being swallowed by a fish. But return is exactly what all three of them do. Jonah is vomited up on dry land. Israel finds its way back to Jerusalem and Jesus arises from the tomb on the third day. This is what, in more than one place in the Gospels, Jesus refers to as the sign of Jonah. It's not the end of the story. Because just as Jonah finally does go to preach to Nineveh, so too Christians, after the day of Pentecost, go and preach to the entire world for all the nations. For the early church, the book of Jonah wasn't just a little book in the Old Testament. It it was a mini New Testament for them, for they saw it all new. And finally, what is God telling us through Jonah today? The story begins with a word we should pay attention to. The story begins with the Lord. We get so used to reading the word Lord in scripture that we forget what the word Lord even means. It's the translation adopted for the holy name of God, so holy that Jews aren't allowed to say it. It's not just the same as saying God. It's not just a toss up, insert one for the other. A lot of religions and people and even pledges of allegiance, right, speak of God. But this is the Lord, gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. It's this name that Jesus adopted. It's this identity that caused the early church to see Jesus as not just the epitome of the merciful God, but the very heart of God. 
Jonah is, is saved by the Lord, and he keeps, but he keeps relating to God as if it's the same distant, arbitrary deity. The text keeps saying, Lord, and Jonah keeps calling out to God. The Lord is merciful beyond comprehension. The Lord does astonishing and simply unbelievable things, and the Lord will go to any length to save a people who will be a blessing to the whole earth. Let me give you two examples of this, one global and one personal. Globally, Christians are hopelessly at sea, hopelessly at sea, about how to relate to the Jews. It's partly a, a confusion about whether Christianity is a new religion or if, it, if it's best to think of ourselves as some prodigal child of Judaism. It's partly guilt because of the Holocaust and the way the Holocaust became like a climax to centuries of Christian intolerance of the Jews. And it's partly misgivings about the state of Israel and about whether in a way, whether in a way that's very hard for us to talk about, the relationship between America and Israel has become like a toxic marriage, damaging to the character of both. I suggest Jonah is the book above all books that Christians and Jews should sit down and read together. We really should. That way, we can say the blunt and brutally honest things to one another that we need to say to one another. Jews can say to Christians, you're the Ninevites. You're our enemies. It's only because we love the Lord that we're learning to love you too. We have no idea what the Lord sees in you. Your existence is the embodiment it has to be only the embodiment of God's exasperating grace, because we don't get it. And Christians can say to the Jews, perhaps you're Jonah. You only exist so as to be a blessing to the nations. Don't you know that? That's what God keeps you in existence for. Is it possible that you've forgotten that now? How, how can we help you continue to be a blessing to the nations? If you know anything about the current state, um, the climate in Israel right now, you would know perhaps they need to realize their call as the Jewish people, that they're to be a blessing to the nations. And here's the personal example as we wrap this up. The story of Jonah is pushing us to identify who we're in the business of worshiping, serving, following, loving. Are we in the business of serving some faceless, arbitrary, cold-hearted, distant God, G-O-D? Or the Lord, L-O-R-D, made known in Jesus Christ? Which is it? Which, which was it when you got out of bed this morning? Which is it right this second in this place of worship? Which will it be when you face the week tomorrow and the next day? I'll ask you another question. I wonder, I wonder when you look back on your life, do you feel like Jonah? 
that at a certain stage, maybe, maybe more than once even, you've been in the belly of a whale and somehow, astonishingly, the Lord has given you another chance when it looked like you were all but gone. And now, like Jonah, do you have the choice between whether to continue to see God as some faceless, arbitrary, cold-hearted, distant, resentful God or the Lord of mercy? calling you to be a blessing to all, those as undeserving as you, or whether to worship, serve, follow, and love the Lord, the one who repays evil with good, mistrust with mercy, fear with joy. Is this the moment when you say, at last, I found out what my story means and what I'm here for God made me and preserved me for this one thing that my there is peace at the table